we're fortunate today to have Lehman Baird, uh, CTO of a company called Squirrels, joining us today. Um, Lehman, uh, I'd like to turn it over to you for a few seconds, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about how you got involved in blockchain, DLT, and your journey to Squirrels. Uh, that would help our listeners uh, get a bit more context of, of who they're hearing from today. Sure. Well, I'm Lehman Baird. I'm the CTO of Swirls, and I've done a bunch of different stuff in the past, but for the last four or five years, I've been working on this problem. There are various ways that I want to allow people to collaborate. I want to be able to have shared information in cyberspace with enforced rules. There's lots of things that I wanted to do, and I didn't have any of the tools that would let me do it. And so I ended up developing a consensus algorithm and a form of distributed ledger, and we've just eventually grew that into this company, and that's how we ended up here today. Um, but I think that I have a vision of the future that's very common that a lot of people in the blockchain community are talking about, and that this is exciting, that the future is actually going to be changed by these distributed ledger technologies. And so I'm very excited to be part of it. Wow, that, that sounds great. The, the problem that, that you mentioned you're solving is you said it was people getting people to collaborate better. Is, is that the problem that, that you're solving? <laughs> well, the problem in general is for people to have shared information. So it may be that we have a cryptocurrency and we're all sharing how much is in each wallet, but we all have to agree on it. Or it may be that we have a ledger that remembers who owns what piece of land, but we all have to agree on it, and we all have to see the same thing. We need to be able to have an online stock market. And we all agree when Alice and Bob both tried to buy that last share, which of them got it. There's a lot of things. We need to be able to run smart contracts, little pieces of, of code, and we need to agree on what the outcome was. So any of these cases where a large group of people need to agree, and we need to agree on things in ways that no one can cheat, everybody sees the same thing, we all know we see the same thing, this is what distributed ledgers are. It's in very many ways a new thing because of the trust model where you don't have to trust any individual. And if we have this, when the world has this thing, there is just unlimited potential for what you can do with it. There are a lot of different applications you can build on top of this when we can start treating, in some ways, it starts changing your view of what the Internet even is. This is where we're going. Um, so that's all grandiose and everything, and there's lots of people talking about those things. But, but this is what it enables. And so that's what my interest was. And I've had this interest for four or five years and have been working on it all that time. Okay. Well, and, and that's, that's amazing, especially the, the point you raised on um, distributed ledger technology. And I, I didn't hear you use the, the term blockchain. What is, when you say distributed ledger technology, are you referencing blockchain or are you speaking even broader than that in terms of what what your technology addresses? Sure, it's both. So people use these terms in different ways. People, a distributed ledger, distributed ledger technology, DLTs, means that we have some kind of shared information. And we have a trust model where you don't have to trust any one person. So no one person can go ahead and delete it. And it's used for cryptocurrencies and for storing information and for running smart contracts and all of these different applications. A lot of people use the word blockchain as a synonym for that. So very often when we say blockchain, what we mean is distributed ledger technology. Um, and that's because, you know, the first really famous one was Bitcoin, and it happened to use a data structure that was a chain of blocks. 
That's where we get the term from. And so often when people say blockchain, they mean distributed ledgers because a chain of blocks was the first way that we created distributed ledgers. Now it turns out there's now a lot of different ways of creating distributed ledgers, and many of them don't use a chain of blocks. And so some people say, well, let's use the term blockchain to refer to just a chain of blocks, but some people use blockchain to refer to all of DLTs. And so often the two are used synonymously. I tend to use the term DLT and to refer to ledgers, and then I'll use blockchain if I use it at all, usually to refer to just if you build it using a chain of blocks. But there's many ways to build a DLT. You don't have to use a chain of blocks to do it. That's just one way to do it. What are some of the other ways? Well, you can do things with leaders, like Paxos and Raft, and even Two-Face Commit in a sense that's actually a kind of leader, where instead of having miners using supercomputers to solve hard math problems, instead, we just take turns being a leader, and the leader takes everybody's transactions and decides what order they're going to be in. Uh, it turns out that in these DLTs, the really hard thing is for everyone to agree on what order the transactions are in. That's the whole point. And so in blockchain, you, everyone is a miner and has this mining rig. It's a supercomputer, uses lots of electricity. And once every 10 minutes, someone on the planet will get a new block for Bitcoin. And by doing it so slowly, as a community, we can all agree on the order of the block. But with a leader-based system, you can do it much more quickly because one computer is the leader. Everybody sends them the transactions. They put them in order, and then they send them out to everybody else. And then there, of course, has to be some mechanism when the leader's computer crashes, how does some other computer become the leader? So that's leader-based systems. This is a, a different way. There's also voting-based systems. Yeah, they're in the literature. They go back decades, but they're not all that practical. Um, they involve sending lots of messages over the Internet. So they're typically not really used. Uh, and then we have Hashgraph, which is what we have, which is um, not a leader. Everyone just talks to each other, and the information flows around, and then you don't have to do any voting over the Internet. You just look at what you're holding, and you know what the consensus is. So there's a lot of different ways of building a distributed ledger, and they all have the same effect. We end up with this trusted, shared view of the information. That's the, the point of a distributed ledger. And, and that's very interesting, especially from the point of when you take into account the various forms of proofs, of proof of stake, proof of work, is how you describe these other options of DLTs. Are any one of them any more effective or efficient than the current discussion around blockchain in terms of the amount of just sheer energy and power required to do proof of work. Um, when you look at any of these uh, other solutions, are they more efficient? Sure. So if you're looking at electricity usage and computation, proof of work is not efficient. It's not efficient on purpose. The whole point was to make it hard to add blocks. And all of the other technologies I've mentioned are efficient when it comes to computation and, and electricity usage. So that's one of the nice things about leader-based and voting-based and Hashgraph is that, you know, you don't have this proof-of-work problem where you have to have lots of electricity and expensive computers. Um, so, yeah, that's true. As a result of the fact that there may be a more efficient mechanism to, to come towards that realization of that order, do you believe that the current mode or focus of proof-of-work 
will be a sustainable approach, or do you believe that uh, proof of work has its place and always will, and there will be other forms um, that will complement it? Well, it's hard to say what the future is, but proof of work does have the downside of requiring the computer, you know, powerful computers and electricity. There's a number of projects going on where people are looking at alternatives to proof of work, and I think that ultimately we will find ways of doing it uh, without using proof of work. You know, like the Hashgraph that we have or even other systems, I think that we'll end up with systems that don't require the inefficiency. One problem with inefficiency, of course, is that it ends up driving all your miners to countries where the electricity is cheaper. And so it starts to make you question the trust model. If all the miners live in one country, then maybe you don't trust it as much because maybe that country could interfere. So I think in the long term, we'll probably get away from a real proof of work system and use one of these other alternatives. Um, and you know, that transition will be slow and it'll take a while. Yeah, and I think that's, that, that is one area that is particularly interesting, um, maybe a bit tangential to our conversation, but just as OPEC exists for oil, you could then start to think of right where those cheaper resources are for energy uh, playing a central role in driving both pricing, but also influencing how quickly and just how much can be solved in time. Sure, um, and the systems are self-regulating so that as computers get faster, the problems get harder. So they always balance. But the, the concern is that you don't want consolidation, right? You want it to be spread out. And if you have these expensive resources to run it, then it's gonna become more consolidated. Also, just humanity as a whole probably doesn't want to be wasting lots of money on electricity to solve problems that are pointless, right? If we can do away <laughs> without, yeah, you know, it's just a waste of resources. That's right. just, for, for mankind as a whole, as our planet, we're kind of wasting resources. And, and it's fine, you know, this was the first generation and it was brilliant. It was a really, truly brilliant breakthrough. Uh, and I think that we will just move on to ways of doing it that are more efficient, that, that's not surprising. That's the way things progress over time and we'll waste fewer resources that way. You're right, when uh, initial solutions may not be the most efficient, but they, they, they're game changing. And yeah. you, you mentioned a point here, I think that is incredibly um, important, uh, which is you don't want consolidation. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> we're, we're talking about these distributed ledger technologies and how powerful they are. Mm -hmm. um, yet on the flip side, where the centralization then ends up is on the actual uh, powering of it, and um, and so how do you balance that? Because in order for it to be economically viable, it requires some level of scale and scope economies. And on the other side, um, you don't want that level of consolidation necessarily, in particular when you're talking about the public chains. Uh, it, has there been any consideration around that to date, or? Or is that more so a future problem to be solved? Well, sure. So this is really what we're talking about. Also, you mentioned public chains. We should mention that there are public ledgers and there are permission ledgers. And there, these will both exist, I think, forever. Um, you'd ask what's going to continue to exist forever. I think we will always have both public and private. A permission network is where you just have a few organizations running computers and they're talking to each other. There are absolutely use cases for privacy and for efficiency and for other reasons 
that you only want a small closed community and you protect who's in it. And then you have the public ledgers, and there are absolutely use cases for that, where you want everyone in the world to be able to join your community and all participate in the consensus. Everybody participates in, in keeping everybody else honest, and you want everyone to be able to read and write to this ledger. And maybe you encrypt some of the stuff you put on the ledger, but basically it's a public, um, you know, a public whiteboard that everybody can write on and everybody can see. We're definitely gonna want both of those going forward. For the permissioned one, uh, people have already moved a lot to non-proof-of-work things. People are already um, talking about that. It's obvious how to do it. And for the public one, you can do the same thing. You can do things like proof-of-stake where you're proving, where you allow anybody to join, but your influence is weighted by how many coins you own. And if the coins are widely distributed so that uh, no one has cornered the market on coins, then you don't have the consolidation. And so just like it's hard to corner the market on you know, corn futures or shares of IBM, you also want it to be hard to corner the market on the tokens that allow you to participate as the equivalent of a miner in one of these networks. And so there are absolutely solutions that will work for both permissioned and for public. And these solutions will absolutely allow us to not do proof of work, but this is coming over time. And uh, we're still in the infancy of this revolution. I really think we're in the early days. But over time, we will transition to efficient ways of doing both permissioned and public. And, um, and we will be able to build systems that are trusted, even if you don't trust any individual, which is important. So, so that word, uh, trust, comes up considerably every time mm -hmm. someone mentions blockchain. When, yeah. when, you, when you reference this word trust, it's a heavy word, and it, and it can mean so many things. Um, what does trust look like when you speak to trust? in reference to blockchain and DLT? Excellent question. So in DLTs, people will say, well, we're trustless, or we manufacture trust out of nothing. Okay, let's be <laughs> honest. <laughs> manufacture trust out of nothing. <laughs> I'm gonna have oh, to yeah. ask you more so, about that one later. But. Okay, well, when someone says we have trustless trust, or they say we are manufacturing trust, and then they imply we didn't start with any trust before we manufactured it. Um, this, is, this is a little bit fuzzy thinking. Let's be very clear what's going on. We want to be able to trust that no one can counterfeit our currency. We want to be able to trust that when the deed to my house is put into this chain or this ledger, nobody's going to change it without my permission. We want to be able to trust that when the result of a contract is stored, everyone who looks at it will see the same result. These are the things that we want to be able to trust. And Distributed ledgers are all about manufacturing that trust. We really are creating this powerful trust that I can just trust that the money is reliable, the record is reliable, their contracts are reliable. But where do we get that from? Well, we get it from this cool technology, the proof of work, proof of stake, the, the, um, all the different things we talked about, hash graph and leader-based and voting or whatever. But we also get it from where we start. And this is important. If we're going to create trust, in the final product, we have to start trusting something. And the question is, what do you have to trust? If you want to use a central server to run something, if I want some central server to create money, or I want some central server to hold a uh, file system for us, or I want some central server to run contracts for us, then I have to trust the one single person running that computer. Maybe that's not a very good trust model. 
maybe that one person sees enough money that they, they get bribed and they do the bad thing. Or maybe they're a company and they have one insider in the IT department that does something bad. Or maybe they're completely innocent and their computer is infected with a virus or a worm or a, a malware or an attacker, hacker breaks into it. You never want to start from a point of having to trust each individual person. You don't want to have to ever trust an individual person. On the other hand, you have to trust something. Clearly, if we have a network of computers and every single computer gets a virus, then we're not going to be able to trust the outcome. So what is our starting point? And the starting point with distributed ledgers is that we are going to trust the community to not have any large set of computers that are doing something bad. So we're going to have all of these computers communicating and coordinating and building a consensus on what the transactions were and in what order they're in. And as long as only one or two or three computers are compromised, everything is good. They can't stop us from coming to agreement. They can't influence our agreement too badly. They can't go change the shared information um, against the rules. As long as only a few people are compromised, we want to still be able to run well. Now, if lots of us are compromised, then there's no way around it. We're, we're going to be out of luck. And so what we want to do with distributed ledgers is start by trusting the community to not have a large group of malicious computers and ending by saying, I can trust this money, I can trust this ledger, I can trust these contracts. So this is what we are doing. We are taking a very nice trust model to start with and then using this technology to expand that into some very powerful trust things in our daily lives. But we don't say that we start with no, not trusting anything. You have to trust something. What we can say though, is I don't trust any single individual at the start. No one computer being compromised is gonna hurt us. We don't have to trust any particular computer to be honest. We just have to trust that most of the community is honest. And in a lot of ways, that's how life works in general. You know, that's how a democracy works. That's how our country works. Everything is good as long as most people are honest. If everybody became dishonest, we'd be in trouble. But we are resilient to one or two people being dishonest. We handle that. That's what we're doing. That's what distributed ledgers are all about. That's an excellent explanation of, of trust. And it sounds like this is how you are also thinking about it as you implement trust into this world uh, technology. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about Swirls? One of the, the topics around it that I've been hearing about both in our online community um, our online blockchain community, as well as a number of events, uh, both IEEE as well as um, major industry conferences, is gossip. And uh, I hear about it uh, quite a bit, uh, especially in relation to, to your solution. Could you tell us a little bit more about what gossip is and maybe give us an example? Sure. So a gossip protocol just means computers talk to each other randomly and it is beautiful. There's no leader. You simply say that each computer calls another one at random in the network. You have some network of computers, and each one just calls another one at random and says, here's everything I know, or here's everything I know that you don't know yet. And then when it finishes that conversation, it calls another one at random and tells. So if there's a piece of information, a new thing that one computer learns, it will call someone at random 
and now two people know it. And then each of them will call someone at random, and now four people know it. And then each of them will call someone at random, and then eight, and then 16 and 32, and it blows up exponentially. So in a gossip protocol, information spreads through the network exponentially fast. It is incredibly fast, and it's completely resilient. If there's one of those DDoS attacks I talked about, where they're flooding a computer and shutting it down, if one computer in our network shuts down, well, we don't care. There's no bottlenecks. We just, you know, the gossip still makes sure everybody knows about it instantly, except for that one computer. That one computer, of course, is out of luck, but everybody else just continues to gossip fine. So gossip protocols are used all over the place. They're very old in computer science. They're used for a million things. Bitcoin itself uses gossip protocols for a couple of different things. Uh, they're very common in computer science. And Hashgraph is built on a gossip protocol, but then we add a few other things that are not very common. Um, but the gossip protocol is beautiful because there is no leader, no choke point. It can be faster because there's no bottleneck and can be safer because there's no one to shut down that would shut down the whole network. And, and when you describe that, it, one of the, the points that seems extremely intriguing, I would imagine, especially in the financial sector, but I could also imagine in the insurance sector, as well as perhaps even in um, the entertainment and sporting sectors, is given just the sheer glut of data out there, and in particular around some of these verticals, <clears throat> It sounds like with gossip, uh, the number of transactions may be higher than the three to seven that we that we hear about quite a bit around blockchain platforms. Ah, uh, with Hashgraph, we definitely go higher. Um, so gossip is just one piece of a consensus algorithm. Hashgraph is a whole algorithm. Raft and Paxos are whole algorithms, and the blockchain that Bitcoin uses is a whole algorithm. You know, gossip is just one little piece. But you're raising the interesting question of what, do we, what about speed? And the truth is, yes, gossip is going to be a building block in any truly fast algorithm because it is absolutely the fastest you're ever going to be able to do. And it goes right to the very limit of what the Internet allows. It's just really fast. So let's talk about efficiency or speed for a second, throughput. With Bitcoin, you have seven transactions a second at most, and that's going to grow a little bit over time. You can absolutely do useful things with seven transactions a second. You can change the world, and it has. There are absolutely use cases for seven transactions a second. However, there's a lot of things you can't do. If you want to do you know, credit cards, all the credit cards in the world have more like 10,000 transactions a second, or a few thousand with bursts up to 10,000. This is the kind of speed you're going to need if you want to handle just the credit card system. And so seven a second just won't work. But if you can do 10,000 a second, then there are absolutely useful things you can do, and even more than you could do at seven. But you're still going to be limited. There are many places in the world where we are doing much faster things than that. And if you could get hundreds of thousands a second, it opens up even more things. So you could have truly fast things. You could have enormous stock markets with enormous amounts of trading going on, and you could have um, – multiplayer games with truly huge numbers of players. You could have all sorts of financial systems and um, data systems, and that's even before we start talking about Internet of Things. The amount of traffic you would expect with Internet of Things is truly mind-boggling. And so I think that we really are going to have to start talking about what does the future of ledgers look like. And I think the future looks like hundreds of thousands of transactions a second 
not just 10,000, not just seven. So seven is useful, 10,000 is useful, but hundreds of thousands is going to enable whole new kinds of things that we can do. And it's not the only property. Throughput isn't the only important thing. You also care about the latency. How long does it take to reach consensus? And you know, if it takes an hour for Bitcoin to get its six uh, confirmations, that's not good. A lot of people are trying to bring that down to a minute or even second, um, but I think that we really do want a fraction of a second consensus. And so that's another thing. For some applications, you really are gonna need fast consensus. For others, a few seconds is good enough. For others, an hour is good enough. It depends on the application. But there are absolutely gonna be cases in the future where our ledgers are gonna to need to have fraction of a second consensus and hundreds of thousands of transactions a second. And that isn't the only property. I think we really do need to be talking about what do ledgers need in the future. And that's just one of them, one of the things they need. What are some of the others? I'll tell you, the thing that no one's talking about is denial of service attacks. Uh, if you remember the Dyn attack from last October, hackers broke into little devices around the world, just web cameras and DVRs and baby monitors and printers. You don't think of a printer as a computer, but of course there's a little computer chip in there and it can communicate. It can send packets over the internet. And what they did is they compromised lots of these around the world and it had all of them send messages at the same time to one computer. That one computer gets so flooded that it can't talk to the internet anymore. It's like cutting it off from the internet. And if you keep the flood up for hours, then it can't talk for hours. And they had a big enough network that they could shut down several computers. They attacked the DNS system and that is, it had a follow on effect on a whole bunch of big companies. And so Netflix was down for a while and other really big companies were down for hours last October. And if you're a company that is huge and depends on the web or the internet for your entire business, going down for a few hours is a bad thing. This was a distributed denial of service attack. And it's a huge issue in cybersecurity and it's something people always talk about. We haven't really talked about it in the distributed ledger community. Um, people don't really talk about, well, is this blockchain, is this ledger de uh, denial of service resilient? But maybe we need to. As we get into the future and ledgers are starting to be used for more and more important things, maybe we need to start talking about, hey, is my ledger vulnerable to these attacks? And again, like I said before, um, it's, it's not an all or nothing thing. Clearly, if somebody can shut down every computer in your network, then your network stops working. But we want it to be resilient to them shutting down just one computer or just a handful of computers. It's just like if they're all dishonest, you're out of luck, but we wanna be resilient to one or two being dishonest. It's a very similar thing. And so the, the scenario that we need to talk about is suppose a hacker breaks into one computer in your network, so it now has a spy in your network and it knows who the leader is, it knows what the protocol is, it knows who's in the network, it knows everything because it broke into one computer. And the attacker has a botnet, all those little devices on the internet that can shut down say one computer at a time. Is your network, is your ledger resilient? And so for a leader-based system, you may have a problem. If they shut down the leader, that shuts down the whole network. And after a few seconds, we switch to a new leader and they just play follow the leader. And so this is just something we're not discussing right now, but I think we start needing to discuss it as we talk about the future of ledgers. We're gonna to need to be denial of service resilient. We're gonna to have to make sure 
that the network can handle a few computers being shut down at a time, even if it's a follow the leader scenario where one of the computers is compromised and can tell the botnet who the new leader is. We just need to make sure that we have that kind of resilience. And you had mentioned the gossip protocol. If you're inherently built on a gossip protocol and very distributed and there's no leader, then that helps. What, what you just described regarding denial of service, this, this uh, is very timely. Uh, last month there was a WannaCry um, <clears throat> botnet attack. And could this have been stopped or, or addressed using a gossip approach versus a leader-based approach? Um, for a network, if you're talking about a follow the leader attack where the attacker could shut down some computers but not all, in that situation, then a leaderless system will be better than a leader-based system. That is the case. So if they have enough resources to shut you all down, then of course you're out of luck. Sure. But if they have enough, and also if they can't infect one of your computers, then they're out of luck. The, attackers, the attacker is out of luck if they can't infect one of your computers because then they don't know who the leader is to follow the leader. But in a scenario where they're able to break into one of your computers and they can shut down one or two computers at a time, then you're inherently going to find that leaderless systems um, are more resilient than leader-based systems when it comes to denial of service attacks, uh, DDoS attacks. That will absolutely be the case in general. It's important to remember there's no panacea. Nothing is 100% secure. Nothing is, is entirely safe. If you have enough resources, you can shut down any network. And if you compromise enough of the computers, you can corrupt the ledger and you can forge money. Nothing is impossible. This is all about managing risk. We want to be resilient to attacks, as resilient as possible. And in many ways, the whole point of distributed ledgers, as opposed to just a server, is that we're more resilient. With a server, only one company has to be compromised for you to be in trouble. But with a distributed ledger, there have to be lots of companies compromised. And so we can say that leaderless is more resilient than leader-based, but neither of them is, you know, 100% secure. It's just you're more secure and maybe substantially more secure. Now, you mentioned that in addition to throughput and latency, there was the denial of service attacks, with, which you just spoke about with respect to the future of uh, DLTs. Are there other attributes that need to be discussed as well? Well, you know, another big one is fairness. And this is another one of those terms that's widely um, used with many different meanings, let's say it that way. Many different people mean a different thing when they talk about fairness. But let's talk about fairness of ordering and fairness of access and fairness of timestamps. And I'll tell you what I mean by the term. And whatever you decide to call it, this is, this is important for the future conversation. If you want to do a ledger where I just store the deed to my house and a year from now when I sell my house, I transfer the deed, then order doesn't really matter. What matters is that we all agree on the order. Even for a cryptocurrency, the order of the transactions doesn't really matter. It just matters that we all agree on it, that the whole community agree on the order. However, there are situations, there are use cases, applications, where order is incredibly important. For example, take a stock market. If you're a stockbroker and I'm a stockbroker and we're both making bids in this market on the same stocks, uh, 
maybe you put yours in, your order in a, a fraction of a second before mine, but if I can bribe somebody and get mine to count as being before yours, that is an enormously big deal. There are unscrupulous stockbrokers that would pay millions of dollars for the right to illegally get put a, you know, one second earlier in the queue. The ordering down to the second level or even fraction of a second level is incredibly important. And if you didn't have a fair market, if the stock market was not fair in saying, well, you were one second before me, so your, yours gets to count as one second before me. If it wasn't fair in that way, no one would use the stock market. And so we need fairness of ordering. We don't need it for every application, but we need it for the future because there's a whole world of applications where you need fairness of ordering. And let me be clear on what I mean by fairness of ordering. We're talking about this very fine granularity. There are people who say, well, we'll just collect all the transactions into big batches, like blockchain, right? Every 10 minutes, we get a new block. And the order of the blocks is fair in some sense. True, but that's a granularity of 10 minutes. And you have an additional problem of within the block, the miner can arbitrarily put the, the transactions in any order they want. So you don't have fairness there. And they can leave out transactions. You don't have fairness of access. So fairness of access goes right along with fairness of ordering. It must be very hard for any single individual to delay me getting my information into the network. I should be able to get my information into the network even if you know, 10% of the computers in the network are evil and have been bribed to try to stop me. I should still be able to get my information into the network, into the ledger fast. So fairness of access is violated when some miner can arbitrarily decide he doesn't like you. Maybe he was bribed by your competitor to not like you, and he's not going to put your transaction in his block. You'll have to wait 10 minutes for somebody else's block to give you your transaction. That's fairness of access, and it's incredibly important for a stock market. Maybe it doesn't matter for cryptocurrency, but incredibly important for a stock market. I've also heard of systems where, for example, you have rounds, and the ordering within a round is not fair. The ordering of the rounds is fair. Um, that's fine for some applications, but there are going to be applications where you need fair ordering even within a round. You actually need fair ordering down to a very fine granularity. And so this is something that's not been a big part of the conversation in the community so far. Uh, but like denial of service, I think it's going to become more and more important. We need to have fairness, true fairness of access and of order. Also fairness of timestamps. Um, that's something you can inefficiently build on top of any system, but it'd be nice to have it built into the very core. And that just means we need to know what time the community thinks each transaction happened. Not just a time that was slapped on by one miner or a time that was slapped on by the person who created the transaction. We need the community to come to an agreement. So fairness of transactions, fairness of ordering, fairness of access. Fairness, I think, is going to have to become a bigger part of our conversation in this community as we go to the future, as we go to new applications that need it. You know, it's so funny. The, the more we get into complex technology, the more we mm -hmm. seem to be coming back to the basics of, mm -hmm. of, of, indivi of individuals and communities, trust, fairness, ethics, all of these seem to be the, the cornerstones of making this a success. Are you finding then today that those critical conversations are seen as, yeah, we'll get to that, but let's get the technology working first? Or are you seeing the reverse where folks are taking those conversations 
more seriously and then using that to inherently develop their technology. Honestly, I think the community is following a very healthy path. We started with the cool idea with Bitcoin, we expanded it to other algorithms and other kinds of ways of doing things, and then over time we're starting to get better and better properties and we're starting to talk about some of these other issues. This is the way a community matures and this is the right path. And so the whole distributed ledger blockchain community, I think is absolutely on the right path. There's another thing about the community. Um, we should make a, a distinction between the core consensus algorithm and then all the layers built on top of it. And as you would expect and as you would hope, 99% of the effort right now is going in those upper layers. That's where all the interesting stuff is. That's where you build these complicated systems that will keep track of your health records and keep track of your financial records and will keep track of who owns what and will run these smart contracts and have distributed organizations and all these things are built at these higher levels. That's where 99% of the work and the effort and the conversation is and that's really important. The boring part is the cornerstone of the whole thing. How do we get consensus? And that's what I've been talking about this whole phone call because that's what our company does. And it's also where there's been less conversation just because there's been less going on. But still, there are lots of people building new protocols at this level, new algorithms at this level, and there is conversation going on. And so even that small part of the community, I think is healthy and is going in the right direction. And we'll over time talk more and more about denial of service resilience and fairness of order and fairness of access and uh, throughput. I think that this is the conversation we're having and it's good. We're just at the beginning of it. In your mind, as you have a vision of where the future of this technology may, may lay, do you have a sense of where that tipping point uh, is where, in time where if that conversation isn't completed, that we will be in a, in a, in a more difficult evolutionary role with DLTs, or is it still too early to say? Um, honestly, I think that we're fine because people are building all of these layers on top of whatever DLT core technology we happen to have, and as the better ones come along, you just plug them in. Uh, all of the major systems are pluggable architectures, and if you have a new consensus algorithm, you just plug it in. I don't think the community is falsely grabbing one and having an unnatural attachment to it, I think the community is saying, hey, we'll make it pluggable, we'll put in new consensus algorithms as they come along. And so ultimately what's going to happen is we're going to have the best of breed at every layer of the stack. So you'll have the best possible consensus at the bottom and then the best level layer right above that and the best layer above that and we, the whole community is going to build a stack that really does become as fundamental to the world as the web or maybe the internet itself. It's, it's going to end up affecting everything and we'll get there. It just takes some time. Uh, we're growing exponentially, but it takes a while. Okay, great. So a, just changing our, our line of questioning a little bit, um, and thank you for those great responses, um, really fantastic. One of the, um, the, the key questions that come up in a number of conversations that we're having is, What's really driving the interest today in DLTs and blockchain? Uh, in other words, is it more just the hype of the technology or is there a core interest in the problems that it, it can solve that no other technology can really solve? Or 
if another technology is solving it today, uh, it's, it can be better uh, addressed with blockchain or DLT versus the existing solutions. Yeah, so anything that's important is going to have hype around it, and the, the cloud of hype around all this space is enormous, and, you know, lots of the things you see are, are overhyped. But at its core, there's something fundamental here. We want to be able to trust our computer systems, even if any one computer is not trustworthy. We want to be able to trust a community, even if no one person is ever trusted. I don't want to have to trust any one person in the community, but I want to trust them all. So what does this mean? It means that people are extremely excited about DLTs in financial services and in the healthcare industry and for identity. Why? Because these are all about trust. And if you have to trust one little computer, maybe that has a virus. Maybe the person running it is, is not a very honest person. Maybe it gets DDoS attacked and your whole network goes down. Trusting a single computer is just not the right way to go. And I see this whole DLT thing as just the next logical evolution of the internet. It's going to distribute it. So we started off with individual computers and then we went to the cloud, which is servers and maybe server farms, but all owned by one entity, one company. And now we're going to distribute it. And the advantages in throughput and in reliability and in trust are enormous. So enormous that I think eventually everything is gonna end up going to DLT kinds of things. You know, the core of the internet is like the DNS system, for example, and um, both the DNS server system and then also how we sell domain names. All of that stuff will eventually end up on ledgers. I think that all of our driver's licenses will be on ledgers someday. I think someday every multiplayer online game is going to use a ledger rather than using a central server. Um, there will still be some places for central servers in the world, but I think that actually most of the use cases of central servers today will eventually go to ledgers. Um, and we, might, we may not even call them ledgers. We may just call them databases. But they're going to be distributed ledger technology, absolutely. Now, what's interesting is when you describe blockchain and distributed ledger technologies in general, do you see the appropriate analogy here that blockchain and DLT is more like the Linux operating system, or do you see it being more so at the uh, TCP IP level? And I ask it because uh, recently uh, in, a, in a conversation, someone noted to me that it really is more so like an operating system, less so like TCP IP. And I, I found it an interesting comparison. I wasn't sure if I bought it completely. I'm interested in, in your thoughts around, around that. Well, it's probably somewhere in between. And even if you wanted to say it was like the operating system, it wouldn't be that DLT is parallel to Linux. It would be like DLT is parallel to the whole concept of an operating system to begin with. It's a whole layer. It's not just one product. There's never going to be a single DLT company that rules the world. It's just a whole layer, just like operating systems are a whole layer. But it's fundamentally lower level than the operating system because it involves more than one computer. Right, a DLT, by definition, has to involve more than one computer. And so it really is fundamental, more like TCP, but it's a layer above TCP when we're talking about what its purpose in life is. Now, when it comes to standards, TCP is a single standard, 
OSs are a million different OSs that aren't really interoperable. And DLTs, again, lie between the two. There'll be some forms of interoperability and some forms where that doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, but I do see it as somewhat more fundamental than, you know, it's closer to TCP than to operating system. It's a fairly fundamental widespread thing. Lehman, as an IEEE member, what could, in your opinion, IEEE be doing in the space of DLTs to support these conversations and eventual standardization uh, with respect to DLTs around fairness, trust, as well as the points you raised around latency and throughput today and in the future so that there's a lowered barrier towards trust? And, um, and then just a follow-up question to that is, uh, how do you think that IEEE could better help support these startups uh, in the digital ledger technology space as well? So a two-part question. Feel free to answer them in any way you like, but very much interested in your thoughts on both. Sure. So the question is, how does the IEEE help individual little companies, and also how does it help the community? And I think that both of these, IEEE is already doing, and this is good. So first of all, it is important, you've had a couple of conferences that I'm aware of, and you have publications, IEEE has publications that have talked about blockchain and distributed ledgers and some of these issues. Uh, the IEEE is a leadership, is a thought leader in this field, and should continue to do that. Should continue to spread information, encourage communication among the people in the field, and to encourage, I mean, Communication is the key to progress. Clearly, that's the key to progress. And IEEE is being crucial in helping the communication. So this is all, I think, extremely important. And if the IEEE can continue to do this with conferences and with um, meetings and with the uh, various publications, uh, this is fantastic. Now, in addition, you asked, what about standards? And standards are very important what we are going to find is that for any embryonic technology, you know, standards don't make, don't make a whole lot of sense instantly at the very beginning before the community has really figured out what even a standard ought to be or what the thing is that they're talking about. And so in the DLT community, I think that what you can do is usefully look at it as two layers. You have the bottom layer of the consensus protocol and how do you talk to a ledger and put things into it. That kind of protocol you could imagine being a standard someday, and maybe even standards for what are the consensus algorithms and so on. You could imagine standards like that. And then at the higher level, where people are building applications, there are standards for each, each vertical application. So if we're sharing um, financial information, there might be a standard for how to have a standard way of encoding financial information. If we're sharing medical information, there should be standards for how, what data format do you use for a data file that is used by hospitals and doctors and patients also, what are they sharing? If we're talking about identity, then we need standards for how do we communicate about someone's identity and their attributes and how do we have verifiable claims and all of these things. There's standards that can be done there. And so at these upper levels, each vertical has its own standards for its data and standards for its protocols and standards for how you communicate. And all of those are important as well. So we sort of have two different levels of standards, standards at the lower le level and then standards at the upper level. And my guess is that IEEE will do a great service of doing standards at all the levels. 
in the near term, I think that we will start at the top and work down. And the reason is that there's more prior art, more um, work that's already been done and more uh, consensus on what needs to be done at the higher levels. So for identity, I think it's probably, we really do understand, I think, identity. Or for medical records, we really do understand what kinds of data needs to go into a medical record. Or at least the medical record community understands it and the identity community understands it. So IEEE can be involved more soon, uh, you know, even right now, in talking about standards at these higher levels. For the lower level, at the consensus layer and at the ledger layer, uh, it's probably premature for standards today because we're still working out, well, what exactly do we want the fundamental properties of the ledger to be? And what are the main operations you want to do when you talk to a ledger at the low level? And what are the main algorithms that should be in the, the uh, ledger? Uh, and even standards for things like security. There's all sorts of things that probably we as a community haven't yet come to a consensus on what's the right way of doing things or what are the top five right ways of doing things. So my guess is that IEEE is going to play an enormous role at both layers, that the top layer will come first and the bottom layer will come second. And the effect of this is to help the community. And it's funny, you asked about small startups. It helps the smart startups even more than it helps the big players. If there are dozens of different standards for how to store your medical records or how to store an identity, then a small startup can't afford to build an adapter for their software to reach each of those different standards, each of those different protocols. But if there's a single standard, a small startup can write to that single standard and get ahead. So it helps a small company, a small startup, that is trying to create a new business if there are standards, because it makes their life simpler. And they spend less time worrying about boring data stuff and spending resources on boring data stuff and more time on whatever it is they founded their company to do. And so I think that the IEEE by doing standards inherently helps startups and all the stuff about communication inherently helps startups as well, um, both for them to learn and for them to tell other people. And so I do see the IEEE playing a leadership role in all of these different areas. Lehman, thank you so much for taking the time today to walk us through uh, DLT's blockchain and how you see the future of DLTs evolving. Something you mentioned earlier was around transparency, latency, as well as uh, the points around trust, fairness. And, and I think a, a question many of our listeners may be thinking is, okay, these are some really tough problems. And has anyone really started thinking about them? Has anyone even solved any of these? Uh, I'm curious, what, is, what does Hashgraph do today about these problems? Has it addressed all of these? Um, yeah, so that's a good question. So Hashgraph does address all of them. Uh, we have hundreds of thousands of transactions a second with sub-second latency. Um, of course, there's lots of caveats there. It depends on how many computers you're using and how far apart they are and so on. But we, we have experiments where we have very fast sub-second latency going across the country with hundreds of thousands. So we have the throughput. We have fairness, fairness of access and fairness of ordering and fairness of um, uh, timestamps. There's no way that one computer can stop you from putting in your transactions or delay you. There's no way that one computer can unfairly give somebody else their transaction before yours when it shouldn't be. There's no way that somebody can unfairly um, 
affect your timestamp on your transaction. Uh, it will basically get timestamped according to when the community as a whole received it. And so we have all of those, and then denial of service resilience. Uh, we're pure gossip, and there's never a leader, even temporarily. It's not even like two-phase commit where there's a lock that somebody holds. Uh, we, we're all exactly equal peers at every moment. There's never a leader, never a lock. We're just simply talking to each other. And, uh, and we have high efficiency. We don't send a whole lot over the Internet other than just the transactions themselves. And so it's very high efficiency. And so, yes, uh, the SWIRL system addresses all these because it uses gossip and everybody's the same and we don't have to say very much. Uh, we have a lot of the nice properties of a voting system. In fact, you could say we are a voting system except with no votes. Uh, we use virtual voting. So we're a voting system with no votes. We're a gossip system. And uh, we end up uh, gossiping about gossip. And that's the, the key for how it does all that. You can always go to our website and see more about it. We have interesting math proofs of Byzantine fault tolerance and uh, all sorts of interesting things. And for our listeners, we will put that website up on the blog. So you'll be able to link directly from there and get to the SWIRL site. I want to take the time to thank everybody for listening in today, uh, all of our listeners, as well as our guest today, uh, CTO of SWIRL's Lehman Baird, uh, who also is the founder of SWIRL. And excellent interview. Thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate the chance to talk with you today, and uh, I'm happy to answer questions if anybody ever wants to send me questions. Great. Thanks. And we look forward to hearing more from you in, in, uh, in the next few months. Uh, best of luck mm -hmm. to you and the company, and, uh, and thanks again. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.